Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk about Victoria's recent custom ring design experience, Rob's thoughts on the State of the Art Jewelry Summit, and they reflect on 100 episodes of the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Jewelry District. I'm Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from hot, sweaty New York City. <laughs> it's July. Of course it's It hot is hot here. Oh, oh my God. It's not like that over there, right? Well, it's not sweaty, but it's hot. And, and luckily, we haven't gotten the heat wave that the Southwest, other parts of the, the Sun Belt have gotten, but it, it is hot. It's sort of scary to see the heat that people are experiencing right now. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really bad. I know a lot of people who actually went to Phoenix for random reasons this week, and I think, oh my God, of all the times to be in Phoenix, mid-July seems like a very bad call or serendipitously bad for them. So I spoke to people who went to this Dubai conference for Lab-grown diamonds. Oh, when 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 was that? I didn't even realize that. That was yeah, that was I think it was this week, the week that we're taping. Somebody said it was. I'm gonna look. They said it was 123 degrees. Oof. I mean, I don't think that's so atypical for Dubai. What is that? Like maybe 45 degrees Celsius. What is that? Yeah, around there probably. But they have all those shop. You know, they're prepared in a way. They don't. Not a lot of outdoor stuff in Dubai unless you're out there in December, which is a lovely time to be there. But you know, they've got massive shopping malls, lots of activities. Everything's chilled, chilled very nicely. So I don't think we're quite as prepared as they are for these soaring temperatures. So I haven't traveled that much lately, at least not in the last couple weeks, but I did spend my birthday weekend, which was the weekend of June 30th and July 1st with my twin sister and about 25 of our friends in Santa Barbara wine country, which is just two hours north of LA. And there's a lovely little town called Los Alamos. And it's got wine tasting rooms and a sweet little hotel called the Skyview. And we parked ourselves there and had a couple of really lovely dinners and just hung out. And uh, the reason I'm telling you about it, first of all, it was a big birthday. It turned big 5-0, my twin sister and I. And I did for the very first time in all my 23 years of covering jewelry, actually commissioned a custom ring project where I had two pinky rings made for each of us. And I used these gray spinels that if anybody goes to Tucson and is familiar with the GJX show, The Tent, there's a dealer who is there every year named Vlad Yavorsky. He's a really well-known, well-regarded dealer, has top-notch gemstones and is a spinel specialist. And I first met him or at least spoke to him in 2011 when I did a New York Times story about spinel calling, uh, the, the headline was Restoring the Luster of an ancient or an old gem. And it was my first deep dive into Spinel. And it was a few years after the Mahangi find in Tanzania. And a lot of those beautiful pinkish red Spinels were coming onto the market. I think since then, they're still very much in the market and have grown in price and, you know, have become really coveted stones. And so I did this piece on Spinel. And ever since then, I, I really loved the gem. I thought it was so amazing how many colors it came in. A lot of it is untreated. They call it the night stone or the night gem because it has this great brilliance at night. I just really fell in love with it in all the places it came from. And so about five or six years ago, I can't exactly remember, I happened to be in Tucson for the shows and I passed by Vlad's booth and he just out of nowhere, handed me a little box with two matching gray spinels. Uh, total carat weight was 7.82. So they were about, you know, 
four carats each. And I was taken aback and said thank you and was kind of amazed and tucked them in my bag and carried on and put them in my dresser when I got home. And there they sat for years now. It's been, like I said, five or six years. Didn't really know what to do with them. I thought maybe I'd make earrings or maybe I'd do some ring feature, a two-stone ring, and never really was inspired and kind of was daunted by that process of what to do with these loose stones. And I think a lot of jewelers are can probably relate. You go to Tucson, you get excited, you fall in love with a stone, you buy it, and then it sits there for years and you have no idea really what you're going to do with it. I mean, designers probably have that happen all the time. They buy so much that some stones inevitably get left behind. But for me, I just thought, wow, what to do with these treasures? And about a year ago, I had interviewed Jillian Sassone, who is the founder of Marrow Fine Jewelry. She's a retailer, but also a designer based in Solana Beach in Southern California near San Diego. She specializes in heirloom resets. And I had interviewed her for JCK actually in 2021 when she first opened uh, her second salon in Newport Beach, California. Then I followed up and met her in person last year when she came through LA and showed me some of the work she's doing. I interviewed her earlier this year for a piece specifically, a, a freelance piece I was writing about her business catering to people who want to reset heirloom pieces. You know, they've inherited a ring from their grandmother or they've, you know, something's been passed down to them. It's a little outdated. They don't know what to do with it. And they go to Marrow and to Jillian specifically. And it kind of clicked after we had this conversation that I had these two spinels. They were gray, which are the color of my dad's eyes. And I really wanted to do something special for my twin and our 50th birthday. And so I commissioned these matching pinky rings in really beautiful gold. And then for those of you who don't know the story of my twin sisters and I birth, we were born on opposite sides of midnight and we don't share a birthday or a birth month. I was born 10 minutes before midnight on June 30th. Jewel was born 10 minutes after midnight on July 1st. So we share the same sign. We're both cancers, but we have different birthstones. And so when I commissioned these rings, I asked Jillian to put a tiny little moonstone in the shank of my ring and a tiny little ruby in the shank of Jules' ring to distinguish them. And I have never been more delighted or blown away by a piece of jewelry. When they arrived just before my birthday in these beautiful boxes, after not a very difficult process of going back and forth on email. You know, she'd shown me some CADs. We decided the kind of very minimal styling that I wanted. And when they showed up, they were exactly what I hoped and imagined they'd be even better. And I keep showing them off. And I presented the ring to Jewel on her the morning of her birthday, July 1st. And she just burst into tears. And we just showed them off all weekend. I've been passing them around. The gray spinels are incredible. They like flash this lavender and purple in the light. And just the whole process is so meaningful. And it finally, after all these years of writing about jewelry, I understand what it means to have such a meaningful piece of jewelry that you can give to somebody that you can have for yourself. I mean, I, I've never, I mean, I bought jewelry here and there, but this was certainly the most involved I've ever been in a process. And I just want to call out Marrow Fine and Jillian and her work and her team and just what a just special process it was and how, you know, these rings will be, I mean, I'll have to pass mine down to somebody and I think it'll have to be Nico. And if he doesn't want to wear it on his finger, he'll probably wear it around his neck on a chain because these are so special. They'll never be melted down. I will never sell these off or do anything. These are going to be part of our family tradition. They have to be because can't even imagine there's so much sentimental value already invested in them. So I just wanted to talk about that because for all the times I've written about jewelers and their growing custom design businesses, I've never actually experienced it until now. And I can see what joy jewelers are bringing 
bringing to their clients when they're able to turn around these heirlooms or make custom pieces for people. It, it really is. What else do you want to hang on to when all is said and done? You know, what else is meaningful enough to pass down and to keep in the family? I can think of very few things that pass that test, you know, of, of something that is durable and beautiful and sentimental, all those things. I mean, Rob, have you ever made anything for Susan or, or gone through this process of, of yourself? Uh, well, for her engagement ring, we were late, scandalized the trade by not immediately getting an engagement ring. <laughs> but um, she had a ring that was inherited and we worked with a jeweler and we got a nice piece of diamond and uh, and then we had two side sapphires. It's a very nice piece for her engagement ring. And uh, it turns out that it matches our birthdays because diamonds are the birthstone of April, correct? Correct. So she was born in April and sapphires are September when I was born. So it kind of worked out in a weird way. It was not something we intended. Very, very nice piece. So I guess that was that was the closest I came and I believe she did most of the work. In <laughs> fact, I'm on curtain. But yeah, it's nice. Are, are you going to wear this every day? Yeah, I am. You know, the one thing about Jules Ring is, like I said, it's a pinky ring because I didn't want to usurp her ring finger. You know, she's not married and for that matter, I'm not married either. I have my partner Jim, but I'm very proud of it. I'm very really just so grateful to Marrow Fine for, for the work they did. And yeah, I'll, I'll show it off. I'll show it off. It's on my Instagram, so people can certainly see it. Yeah. And, and custom has obviously become huge in the business. And I just got off a call with Signet and they were discussing how they bought this uh, jewelry repair business out of Tennessee called SJR. And they're also moving some of their custom design facilities to uh, where Blue Nile's facilities were. So they're retaining a lot of the Blue Nile jewelers that they had on staff. So if you remember when we had Gina Drosas on, she talked a lot about services and custom design is one of the big services that they that they offer. And that's clearly something of a focus to them because what they found is, you know, when people go and get their jewelry repaired, when you design something that's special, like the piece that you have, it breeds a lot of customer loyalty. It's something that people remember, provided you do a good job and, and handle it correctly. It's it's something that people appreciate. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it rises above your average piece of jewelry. I mean, most people don't throw jewelry away, obviously, but they may sell it on or consign it to a shop somewhere if they feel like it sort of out, outlasted its trend appeal or if they just need a spot of cash. And yet these pieces that have been custom designed, you know, especially ones that have detailing that is so personal. I mean, mine is very, very minimal other than the little moonstone that's tucked into the band and the ruby that's tucked into the band of jewels ring. You know, they, they're pretty, I'm not going to say generic, but they're they're pretty classic. They, they could be. But because of those details and the thought that went into them, I would never, ever in a million gazillion years consign the piece, even if I needed cash, you know? I mean, that's obviously value to the to the gold and to the, the stones, but no, 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 no. These are these are heirlooms and like I said, Nico's gonna get it strung around his neck one day. And I'm I'm going to request that you take a picture of it and we can post it in the show notes. Happily, I already have a picture and I would be happy to send that to our producer Natalie. Attention New York City. Don't miss your chance to attend the De Beers Rough Diamond Experience. July 20th and July 21st dates are still available. This one-day workshop explores how to sort and value rough diamonds. 
De Beers has a unique position in the world of diamonds in that they explore and recover diamonds from Botswana, Canada, South Africa, and Namibia. This course allows students to experience how De Beers experts sort and value the rough diamonds that they recover. It is a truly unique opportunity to study with the world's leading diamond experts. Visit institute.debeers.com to register today and save 10% with code JCK underscore 10. So enough about my sweet new ring. I also wanted to ask you, because I think right in the lead up to my birthday, you were off to Boston to go to this state-of-the-art jewelry summit at Harvard. And I've read here and there, and I talked to Gary Roskin, actually, for our Colored Stone special report. I know he was there. How was it? What were some of the big takeaways? It was interesting. It was worthwhile. Both me and you have probably been to dozens of summits and conferences over the years. And a lot of times, the most interesting stuff takes place offstage, and that was probably true here. But what I liked about this one in particular was there was some people from outside the industry who I hadn't heard. So there was some Harvard professors talking about the environment and climate change. And needless to say, the news there was certainly rather alarming. And one of the things I liked about what the professors said, and this was something that was reinforced throughout the day, was they talked not just about climate change, but about how it relates to other ills like poverty. And they they talked a lot about poverty in particular. And if you look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, it's not just about climate and the, the ecology. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But the whole idea is that you want to make sure that by doing these things, people are still able to make a living. And that's some, something I think about, you know, with all this talk about whether lab-grown is, is better for the environment than natural diamonds. So the statistics they, they gave was we in the United States emit 70 times the amount of greenhouse gases as people in the global south. And the global south is kind of a catch-all phrase for the less developed countries. So you think about we might be able to grow diamonds that are carbon neutral or you know use renewable energy or get to a, a certain carbon neutrality when you add in a million offsets or something like that but if you're taking away jobs from some of the poorest people in the world you're not necessarily going to help the situation mm. and you could arguably make it worse because who knows what kind of industry is going to replace what you've taken away the, the idea was that you can't solve the climate crisis without focusing on making sure everybody's taken care of. And there is a term for this as far as when you're dealing with things like coal mining, which are you know things, things that are probably going to be phased out, called a quote-unquote just transition, which is making sure that the people who were involved with things like mining coal or some of these less ecologically friendly industries, making sure that there are possible industries to replace what's come before. So that that was really interesting. I mean, a lot of these seminars are preaching to the choir in a way, because a lot of the people who need to hear some of these messages are basically on board, you know, people who are members of the RJC, people who are members of Ethical Metalsmiths. So there's definitely a group of people in the industry who are very much on board with the approach that's been taking. There probably could have been more of a focus on where things need to improve. And 
one of the things that has always confused me as somebody who writes about this stuff is we always talk about due diligence and enhanced due diligence, and it's not always clear what action steps that involves. So that's something that is rather difficult for people because, you know, if you're a, a jeweler, you don't necessarily know what, first of all, you don't necessarily know where your gems or your gold or your minerals come from. And beyond that, it's quite difficult to find out what the conditions are, where they're mined. So I think there needs to be a way to make it easier for people, people who in particular who care about this stuff, to get more information about where their gems and minerals and gold and platinum and all this other stuff comes from and to support the people who are doing good, like Fairmine Gold, like Moyo, like some of these other projects that I've mentioned. There's a bunch of really good projects and by all accounts, they're doing a lot of good work, but people need to have a better sense of how to get involved with these things and just basically, you know, how to do due diligence, because that's something that's that's extremely important. You have to know who you're dealing with and where they source from. But it was a good conference. And you hear a lot sometimes on the news about these conferences where they're devoted to climate change and, and people flying in private jets. I don't think anybody flew in in a private jet to this conference. So it was definitely people who were very committed and uh, it w- there were some very interesting discussions. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to go. I find, you know, some of these, I think like you, some of these, you can feel like there's not a lot of actionable stuff that comes out of them. It's a lot of talking, a lot of, you know, gooding and a lot of people with good intents but like i'm never clear often when i emerge from these conferences what to do you know what next steps there are what what i can share with our readers about what they can do which is my kind of general it it feels like a lot of stuff is just rehashed and restated but you know i do find them valuable just to understand where you know the big thinkers in our industry are going and what is consuming them All right. Well, thanks for that recap. We are currently in the midst of our 100th episode of The Jewelry District. So I wasn't there for the first one because I was on maternity leave, but I think you and Emily Vesseland, our lovely former staff editor who is now with Jewelers Mutual and Zing Report. Is that right? Did you and Emily do the first one? Yeah, I think we did the first two, in fact. And that was back in the spring of 2019, correct? Right. Yeah. And I was actually surprised that we'd done this for so we've done this for four years, which is which is a long time. And we should mention that it's not, even though this is number 100, there's been some kind of random episodes here and there. So it's probably a little bit more than 100. But yeah, we it was first was with me and Emily and we were in the studio and then COVID happened and now we do it uh, virtually. And, you know, the format has evolved. We used to do the Weird Story of the Week, which was fun, but uh, we don't do that anymore. We've had some uh, great guests. We really have. I must say, we've been able to pull in chief executives and all kinds of big wigs in the business in terms of a lot of retail CEOs. We had Bruce Cleaver of De Beers, Jenna Drosos, Pandora's chief executive. I mean, really big, big names. Blue Nile. Blue Nile. Kendra Scott. Kendra Scott. 
Yeah, we try, for those of us who've listened for a while, or for those of you who've listened for a while, or even if you're just joining, we don't have, there's no science to who we choose to be our guests. We like to choose people, obviously, in positions of leadership who can comment and maybe share insights about what it is like in their corner of the jewelry business. But we also like to talk to people who just have good stories. And often, Rob and I, and this happened actually last, our last guest, Jeffrey Bowling, you know, was somebody Rob had met in person at Conclave and realized there was a, you know, just a story there and he was well-spoken and we thought, great, this is, this is a story. We like to shed light on aspects of the jewelry business that feel very relevant and very timely. So, you know, we're currently looking for a guest to comment on AI in particularly as it pertains to retail and luxury retail. But we've talked to people about Gen Z. That was one of my favorite guests was Ziad Ahmed. <laughs> He's wild. Yeah, this, he had no real special interest or focus in jewelry, but he was somebody I'd come across as a really well-spoken young man who really felt tapped into Gen Z. It was his generation. And I thought he shared some really great insights about what it meant to connect with Gen Z. I still question the way I text and whether or not I punctuate my texts as a result of that that episode. Yes, he, he said you should not use a period. That Gen Z gets mad when you use a period. <laughs> Yes. I'm still trying to wrap my head around why that is, but I I seriously will find myself leaving punctuation off the end of my texts and thinking, well, thanks, Ziad. I hope this is well received by whoever (laughs) is receiving it. So, yeah, I mean, I think I've always enjoyed sprinkling in those guests that come in and don't have anything specific to say about jewelry, but will then impress upon our listeners something very insightful that somebody in our industry might not have come up with because we're so entrenched in our specific issues that it really helps to have an outside light kind of shining on these other topics. So I don't know, do you do you feel the same? Yeah, and I like the variety of people that we have. I mean, we do have CEOs, we have independent retailers, and we have independent designers, and we have people we know who've been around a bit, and it's just a mix, and it's uh, people we find fun and engaging and interesting. I mean, I think the way a CEO on our podcast comes across is very different than an independent retailer. And and I, I understand that if you're a CEO, you certainly don't want to blow up a billion dollar company by saying something on a podcast. It's, but um, what I actually enjoy about doing the show is the hearing people's stories. They're kind of what we call the origin stories when we when we usually ask about their background. And there's been people who we've had as guests who I've known for years, like John Kennedy or Sally Morrison or Mark Smelzer. And when they tell their stories, there's usually one or two things I, I didn't know. And it's, it's really interesting to me to learn a lot about their backgrounds. And sometimes we get so caught up in hearing the person's background and story that we have to switch it to last minute to make sure that there's some some business content. But I find that part really interesting. Me too. Me too. It, it like it humanizes people that often feel daunting or in some ways untouchable. When you hear about the way they started, everybody starts pretty humbly. I mean, maybe not billionaires, but in terms of just that origin tale, it is often interesting and often really helpful to know that somebody who's in a great position of power had to work their way up to it. It just feels like very relatable. So I do enjoy that part too. It puts them in context in a way. It certainly does. And, you know, 
highlighted a few of our guests, but I don't want to play favorites. I do feel like often I get a little nervous before we're interviewing somebody like a Bruce Cleaver. And on some of those occasions, you can tell they've had so much media training that it's hard to get a lot of personal kind of more off the cuff commentary, which is often the, the best kind. He just says something that feels like they've never said it before. They've never even voiced it before, but it feels true and genuine and authentic to them and whatever it is we're addressing. So those moments are great. I also love talking to you, Rob. I love the rapport we have because we are so different. And so we get to comment on things we both know about, but from different perspectives. And I find that to be really helpful. And you ask the kind of questions that I don't think to ask. And, you know, you also suggest the kind of guests I don't think to suggest. And it was actually, you know, it was interesting you bring that up because I remember when we had Gina Drosis on the show, she was talking about them expanding their services business. And I knew what she meant because I'd been following the whole thing. But then you asked, can you explain to me about services? And it, it hit me like, oh, that's actually a really good question because not everybody is so up on it. And it's good for our listeners to kind of understand that. So yeah, I think it's great that we come at it from different points of view. Yeah, exactly. Because I think we both had the exact same point of view. We wouldn't think to ask these questions that obviously a lot of our listeners might have. And we probably, you know, if I'm going to be self-critical, could do a little better job of teeing up the topics that we know inherently or somehow instinctively, but we don't prep them for our listeners. Anyway, that's a little insight into my own brain. I'm kind of thinking on the page here. Larry King never came up with questions ahead of time. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Sometimes they'd be bizarre, but yes, he would just uh, come off the cuff. So I mean, it feels like the Larry King of jewelry. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take that. We are dueling Larry Kings. I enjoy doing the podcast and uh, here's to 100 more. Amen. 100 more. And we'd, like, we'd also be interested in listeners to give us feedback. Absolutely. So if you have any thoughts or any things that you like, let us know. All right. Thank you so much, Rob. Always, always a good time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.